Hi, everyone. This is Scott from Prepare to Answer. I want to share some news with you about an exciting new resource that we've created called So Much More Than Sex. It's no secret that the subject of sex is one of the biggest concerns for young Christians today. That's why we've created So Much More Than Sex for senior teens and young adults. It's a four-part video series, complete with notes and discussion questions, that you can do with your young adults class, small group, or even on your own. The point of the series is to help you shift the narrative about sex away from seeing biblical teaching as little more than an outdated list of do's and don'ts, and replacing it with the overwhelmingly positive, life-giving, and eternally significant vision that the Bible gives for your sexually ordered body. If you want to get in on the So Much More Than Sex series, just follow the link in the episode description. And now we turn to today's episode. I find that most people in discussions around faith and spirituality, as with many other issues, people just pick up their beliefs in bits and pieces. They kind of pick them up along the way. They hear something that sounds good or they've heard it enough, and so they learn to, to repeat it. And so this idea that, you know, there can't just be one way, right? We all know there are many paths to God. The reality is that probably people really haven't thought that through. And so a part of our witness, I think, is, in, is just helping them think it through. Helping others to think through what they believe. What a great way to start this week's Prepared to Answer podcast. My name is Sean Walker, and I want to invite you to join Scott as he dives into the cultural belief that there is more than one way to God. Scott will explain effective ways to respond to this objection to the gospel so that you will walk away with some respectful and intelligent talking points for the next time you encounter, don't all paths ultimately lead to God? This clip is taken from our Gospel and Culture series, a dynamic, flexible online series that will help you to engage culture for Christ. We'd invite you to check us out at preparedtoanswer.org slash gospel and culture study. But for now, we'd invite you to sit back and enjoy. And the way that I love them is by communicating truth to them uh, so that God can go to work on their hearts and minds. So in doing that, uh, I think there's a, a few ways that we can go about addressing this, this objection of religious pluralism in a way that, that does both. And the first thing I think we need to do is to appeal to a person's reason, right? To appeal to their mind and the way that they think. Um, and to challenge the way that they think. Um, God, God is intensely interested in our minds. And even when God speaks to his people, he talked about, and this comes out of Isaiah 118, right? He, he's, he's speaking to, at this point, an obstinate Israel. And he's saying, look, at, let's reason with each other. Let's talk about the facts as they are. And he goes into talking about how he was, he as a father brought them out of Egypt and he gave them like, a, like a, the tender of a vineyard. He, he built a vineyard and he made it as great as he could and he, he watered it and he, he nurtures it and, and, and he did all of those things and yet the vineyard produced nothing but bad fruit. Right? He's reasoning with them. I did everything I could for you and still the, the fruit of that is your disobedience. And so he says, so since I did everything I could to nurture you, now I'm going to bring the, the rod of, of, of judgment and, and of uh, punishment uh, in order to try and get you to come to your senses. Now that's God's discussion with Israel. But the point is that he's reasoning with them. Let's talk about the facts. And God does that. So um, my daughter came home and said, Dad, did you know that God can be different things to different people? And my, my knee-jerk response was to say, oh, that's wrong. The Bible tells us that's not the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Go to your room, right? <laughs> I could have done that, and I'm not sure how effective it would have been. 
Um, but, but I don't think that would have helped her to, to think through this, this piece of information that her teacher had given her. And so I did, I did what I thought was best at the moment uh, in trying to explain to a seven-year-old <laughs> that God can't be different things to different people. So I grabbed a couple. We have a fruit bowl on the island in our kitchen. So I grabbed two things that are pretty familiar. So I grabbed an apple and an orange. Let me, let me just, let's think this through this together. What have I got here? She said, I got an apple and this hand, I've got an orange. Okay. She said, so this is an apple and this is an orange. I said, what if I told you that I believed this is an apple? I said, so is this an apple? She said, no, dad, it's an orange. I said, okay, but what if I told you I believed it was an apple? To me, this is an apple. To you, this is an apple. So really, they're both apples, right? And she said, no, dad, that's an orange. Right? It was, it's obvious. I said, okay, so what you're saying then is that no matter what I believe or think about this orange, it's always going to be an orange. So this orange can't be an apple to me and an orange to you. Yeah, that's right. So I said, well, that's why God can't be different things to different people. I said, because if God is real, then who and what he is, that's not, that's not a matter of what I believe about him. That's a matter of who he is. He exists and he is who he is. And so all I can do is put my trust in what he's told me about himself. So he can't be an apple to one person and an orange to another because he actually exists. He's real. So an app, she, kind, she got it. She got the point. Um, and then I tried to help point her to some other truth of scripture. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because he's the only way to God. Because God is real. It's God who's shown us the truth about himself. And it's God who makes that way possible. We can't invent it for ourselves. No matter how nice a belief we come up with. And so she seemed to get it. It helped. I'm not sure it was the perfect response, but that's how I responded at the moment. Um, another way of looking at it, and I've actually used this in a conversation too, and, and you alluded to it earlier in talking about what the Buddhists believe about God. Uh, I have another friend who I've uh, spent time with. I would drop, when I was still taking my kids to school, I'd walk by his house on the way home, and I'd drop by sometimes and bring him a coffee. And we'd chat. And at one point, he, we got into discussions about faith. And he said, yeah, you know what? He says, I believe there's a God. But, but I don't believe that there's just one way to him. Like, I don't believe there could just be one way to God. He, the classic response. And actually, at the time, I didn't have a response. I didn't, I didn't know what quite to say, you know, other than no. Uh, I didn't think that was good. So I kept my mouth shut. I said, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, but one thing I've learned to do is that if someone says something to me and I can't answer right away, I just tuck it away in the back of my head. And then I use it as a way to restart the conversation when we come back together again. Because I don't know about you, but it, I find it almost impossible to get conversations about faith going with people. So if they give me a nugget, I'm going to keep using it. I'll just keep using it as kindling for the next one. And so the next time I brought him coffee, I came back and said, you know, you, you mentioned something to me last time we were talking that, that really got me thinking. I've been thinking about it. He said, really? What did I say? I said, well, you said, right, that you don't see you believe in God. And I think that's great. But you don't see that there's just one way to believe in God, like there's just not just one religion. And so here's the response I had at, when I had time. Here's the response I thought of. I said, now, the reality is this, though. Like, if I just think about the four, these four major religions in the world, and their most basic belief, you know, is around the, just the concept of God itself. And I said, the thing is, in the Buddhist religion, there is no God to speak of. It's really atheistic in its outlook. It's more of a philosophy than it is a religion. 
and they really don't appeal to any deities to speak of. Whereas in Hinduism, the Hindus believe that everything's God. Ultimately, um, they refer to, they don't have a personal God that they look to, but they refer to Brahman as an indefinable principle of existence that is in and makes up everything. Kind of sounds like the Force in Star Wars, right? It's, it's, Brahman is just, it permeates everything. And the ultimate destination for us is that we would come to the place where our Atman, as our individual soul, becomes one with Brahman. We are absorbed into the great ultimate one. So that's the Hindu concept of God. Now in Islam, God, Islam is rigorously monotheistic. That is one God. Allah is one. In fact, the greatest attribute of Allah, they refer to as Tawheed, that Allah is absolutely, there is, there is none beside him. He is, uh, he's a monad in that he is absolutely individual in his being and person, and nothing can corrupt him. So unfortunately, it almost makes Allah unrelatable. Because if Allah relates to something, then whatever he's relating to will corrupt his, his oneness. So I'm not sure how that all works out in Islam. But at any rate, Allah is one God and one person. Uh, whereas, of course, Christianity, we're monotheists, one God, but we're Trinitarian. One God in his being who exists in three persons. Right? And, and if you ever... Uh, actually, I had a chance once to... I was at a do, my daughter's ballet recital, and there was a, it was at the public library in downtown London, and there was a table, a display table for a, a local mosque set up and information. So I didn't have anything else to do for a few minutes. So I went up and talked to them. And I just was, I just was up front. I said, I'm a Christian. I said, I'm interested. You've got some material here. What, what is it you think I need to know? I said, can you teach me a little bit? And he said, oh, Christian. He's, and he, he, grabbed the first, <laughs> he grabbed the first flyer and it was, who was Jesus? He said, your problem as a Christian is that you, you believe in three gods. And I said, no, I don't. And he said, yes, you do. So I said, no, I don't. <laughs> he said, yes, you do. And he went on to explain how we've made Jesus into a God. And so there's no way of reconciling the Muslim view of God with the Christian view of God. They are mutually exclusive, as are all the other four. Now, I did this a lot quicker with my friend. But the question I asked him was this. I said, given this, I said, can you explain to me how God can be different things to different people when most people's concepts of God necessarily exclude the other? They, they are logically exclusionary, right? They contradict each other. God can't both not exist and exist as a principle of all existence in all things and be an individual in one person and be one God in three persons. He has to be one or none, but he can't be all of them. And his response was, I'd never really thought about that. And that's about as far as we got as, in terms of resolving that except I tried to help him understand. That's why the Christian message points to Jesus as the only way. Um, so appealing to reason, just helping people to think through. Um, I find that most people in discussions around faith and spirituality, as with many other issues, people just pick up their beliefs in bits and pieces. They kind of pick them up along the way. They hear something that sounds good or they've heard it enough, and so they learn to, to repeat it. And so this idea that, you know, there can't just be one way, right? We all know there are many paths to God. The reality is that probably people really haven't thought that through. And so a part of our witness, I think, is, in, is just in helping them think it through. Really, let's just think through reasonably the, the implications of that statement. And does it really square with, with our understanding of reality? Along with that, then, I think, is learning to ask good questions. And there's a couple of passages that I think are great reminders of this. Proverbs 18.15 says, that The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. For the ears of the wise seek it out. 
right? A discerning person in bearing witness for Christ, I think, needs to learn how to understand the person that they're seeking to witness to. And I think one of the best ways to do that is asking questions. Um, Proverbs 18, oh, Proverbs 18.15 does not say both of those things. I'm pretty sure that the second one comes out of James somewhere. Saying everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Uh, a pastor we had, the last pastor we had, he used to say this at our church. He used to say, God gave us one mouth and two ears because he expects us to listen twice as much as we speak. Uh, that's, that's a good rule of thumb. Speak less, listen more. So uh, learning to ask good questions, I think, is a great strategy for responding. So let's just reverse the tape for a minute. And we'll go back to Oprah. And so she blurts out a statement, right, that sounds so true. And everybody in her audience would go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. Um, she says this, that there are a million ways to be a person that can't just be one path to God. So we could just ask Oprah a question. The question is, well, how do you know that the many paths all lead to God? Have you ever followed them all? How do you know that? How could you know? I wonder what she'd say. I'm not sure. But that would at least hopefully get her thinking. Uh, Brian McLaren says that no doctrines are to be absolute and truth or doctrine must be considered only with personal experience. So my question to him would be, well, when you say that no doctrines are to be absolute, do you mean that absolutely? Do you mean that's true for everybody in all places and all times? Because that seems like an absolute truth you're claiming there. Or when you say that truth or doctrine must only be considered with personal experience, did you determine that doctrine to be true by personal experience? Did you experience that somehow to be true? And if so, why should I subscribe to your experience? Why should that hold any authority for me? Right? This podcast has been a ministry of Prepared to Answer. Our mission at Prepared to Answer is to help prepare, equip, and encourage the Church of Jesus Christ to grow in confidence of faith by teaching Christians to think like Jesus. To access more resources to help you begin understanding life and the world around you with the mind of Jesus, visit our website at www.preparedtoanswer.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at at prepared to answer. Or contact us directly by email at info at prepared to May the Lord bless and keep you.